Hey coaches, and welcome to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. For all the up-to-date information on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association, you can visit our website at www.or.nhsbca.org. Welcome to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. I'm Derek Duman, OBCA Secretary and Boys Basketball Coach at West Albany High School. Today, I'm joined by Greg Griffin, men's basketball coach at Rex Putnam High School. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Doing outstanding. Uh, really excited to uh, speak with you here and uh, hopefully share some ideas. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to join us. Uh, coach, I'd like to get started uh, by having you kind of give us a background of your basketball history, how you got into coaching, and, and how you ended up at Putnam High School. Well, um, I went to a high school in uh, Seattle, went to Queen Anne High School in Seattle, uh, ran track and played basketball, and was uh, fortunate enough to get a uh, scholarship to George Fox College, now George Fox University, in 1975. That makes me just a tad bit old. Um, later, I got my master's degree from Portland State. But my coaching, after I graduated from Fox, uh, I spent a year as a freshman coach at Dayton High School. Uh, and then I spent five years coaching middle school basketball in uh, the Newburgh school system, two years as the uh, JV coach at Newburgh High School, 13 years as the head coach at Newburgh High School, one year as the uh, varsity assistant at Southridge, five years as the assistant JV coach at Clackamas, and 14 years at Rex Putnam as the head coach. So uh, I've been around uh, – been around as long as baseball. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And been to some, some different places, which is, yeah. is kind of cool. Give you a good uh, good background of, of knowledge, I'm sure. Um, Coach, you are currently on the board of the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association and serve as one of our mentorship coordinators. Uh, for those that might be interested either in joining the program or, or want to know a little bit more about our mentorship program, can you describe uh, what that looks like and, and how someone that might want to enroll can do so? Yeah, um, contacting me, uh, the emails that I have gotten, um, I you know just it's just questions, uh, con- not concerns, but uh, how would you attack this? What would you do in this situation? And, you know, I'm not the, the oracle of knowledge on basketball by any stretch of imagination, but if I feel I haven't, you know, gotten a, a very good answer for that person, I try and direct them somewhere to another coach where they can maybe get a little bit better answer. Um, the thing that is interesting about that is I found that coaches are always very concerned about kind of keeping this uh, close to the vest. Um, I think it's kind of unfortunate because in other areas, uh, if you go out and try to improve your craft you're you're praised for it but coaches uh unfortunately in our situation are um they're afraid someone might look at them and say well you don't know what you're doing if you're asking for advice which is a little little cuckoo but um it's very fun for me it's very fun and um uh, it's it's nice to share people shared with me and uh i really enjoy it that's great if it's something let's say you know i'll take me for example let's say i'm i'm interested in the mentorship program I reach out to you. I mean, are you willing and able to like meet once a week? Is it just on a question by question basis? So far, I have not met with anyone in person, even before the uh, 
pandemic and, uh, you know, the social distancing. It was uh, done pretty much all online, and um, the answers and the questions come in, and I try and answer them as best I possibly can. Again, like I said, if I personally, if I feel I really haven't done a very good job or, or whatever, I try and direct them to another coach who might, in my opinion, have a little bit better answer. Um, so it's it's that's pretty much all the way it's been done. Um, although I wouldn't be opposed to uh, you know sitting down with folks, you know, and uh, and visiting or uh, that type of stuff is you know I'm going to learn something from it too. So I, I would love that. Yeah. Uh, and for listeners that haven't had a chance to check out our website, uh, we have a couple, a few different issues that most coaches see probably on a yearly basis. Uh, and we have some different coaches who are willing and able to uh, offer advice on those things as well. So sure. if you just visit our website, you can do that. Uh, you can do that as well. I want to turn to mentoring kind of coaches in your own program. Obviously, you've right. been a head coach for a long time. Uh, one of the things that we're responsible for as head coaches is to develop our assistant coaches as well. Um, what are sure. some things you do to develop your assistant coaches? Well, uh, one of the main things um, when I look for an assistant coach is, and I've been very fortunate to have uh, this never, ever be a problem, is, is I look for people who aren't yes men. Um, I look for people who have their own minds and uh, a strong character and, uh, you know, sometimes will argue with me. I, obviously, I have to make the final decision, but I want as much input on that decision from what people I respect and, you know, good basketball minds before I make that decision. Uh, one of the other things, I think that gives them a, a peek into, you know, what the decision-making process involves. Uh, I allow my uh, assistant coaches to coach the summer teams in summer league and in tournaments. Um, uh, and I try and really uh, let them, you know, go. Uh, I don't really talk to them at halftime, maybe a little bit after the game, but, it's an opportunity for them to learn and to make mistakes and learn from them and to do things that are, you know, very positive. Uh, it also gives me, as a head coach, a unique opportunity to observe my players uh, from a different perspective. Um, you know, and it, it's it's been really, really helpful. It's been really positive. So, uh, uh, and I, I think my assistants appreciate it. Um, They've expressed to me that they enjoy it, so I have to try and believe them, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think that's awesome. Uh, what do you do? You know, I think a lot of uh, head coaches like that feedback that you were kind of mentioning. Uh, right. But oftentimes, maybe we don't go with the feedback we're given, you know, and sometimes I think as an assistant coach, you can feel like maybe your voice isn't being heard and you become disgruntled. How would you kind of handle one of those conflicts if you had that with an assistant coach where they feel like they're not listening, you're not listening to them, they're kind of frustrated? How would you go about handling that situation? Well, that's interesting. We kind of had that this year uh, with uh, with one of my assistants who was uh, one of my ex-players and uh, you know, a young man and I'm very close to, got very frustrated with his how his season was going individually. And, and um, you know, I, I, we just sat down and talked about it, you know, uh, I, I'm one of those people that, you know, I don't like to let things go. I like to, you know, get everything out in the open and just visit about it. And, and it was very good. He, you know, he kind of vented and vented on me and vented on some things that he wanted to do, uh, you know, in a different way as uh, as it, uh, you know, pertained to the program. And, and I had to listen to that. You know, uh, he didn't, didn't feel that he was 
his skills are being uh, used as well as they could be. And, you know, I think anytime somebody wants to contribute more, uh, I don't think there's any head coach who's going to say, no, I want you to do less. So, uh, and that was about mid-season, and we, we shifted gears and did some things, and uh, I think it worked out well. So I, I guess uh, to answer your question, you just got to be open. You, know, you can't be locked in on, on, on what you think or what you expect from people. If they say they can do more, you know, got to allow them to do it. Yeah, what are some things – you mentioned summer ball, kind of turning it over to your assistants. Uh, right. Which, I mean, I commend you for. I think a lot of head coaches are a little bit of control freaks, and that makes them a little nervous. Um, <laughs> but what are some things that you have your assistants do during the season that helps them grow professionally? Yeah, I, during the season, um, I try to assign league opponents. I do the scouting for our non-league um, teams. Uh, when the season comes around, uh, different assistant coaches are assigned two or three teams to scout. And we do that through sometimes, if it, as, as tournaments allow, we do it in person or we do it from uh, getting things from huddle or whatever else it may be. And then they are responsible for that game prep. They come in with the varsity players. Um, they look at the at the videos together with them. They they talk about assignments, who should guard who, and all of that stuff. And that really gives them a huge, huge – and I haven't done that. I've only done that for probably about three or four years. And But it, I find that it gives them a huge buy-in to what the varsity is doing, more so than they if they were just – you know, on the sidelines or on the bench and, you know, kind of kind of there. Now they're much, much more involved. And game time, they can have conversations with the players during timeouts, when a kid comes out of the ball game or at halftime, because they have watched those individual teams. And, you know, I, I think it's really worked for us, really, really in, uh, getting uh, assistant coaches involved. <clears throat> I'm sure you've had assistants that have, have wanted to make the jump to become a head coach. What what advice or warnings maybe do you give them <laughs> as, they, as they try to embark uh, as as the head coach? Uh, I could say be careful what you wish for, but <laughs> <laughs> that's probably not very nice. Um, I think, and it's funny, I have had a situation like that, a long-time assistant uh, – moved and became the women's head coach at our school. And uh, one of the first things he came back, we're very good friends, uh, came back and said, you know, I didn't realize how much time this takes uh, and so many things to do as a head coach that you don't have to do as an assistant. So I always thought from the outside looking in, um, it looked pretty easy. And uh, that that was really good uh, for him to kind of, you know, kind of have that different perspective on it it's not brain surgery you know it's not brain <laughs> surgery but if you don't know what you're doing and you know in a lot of cases you don't have a little bit of help or mentor mentoring you, you can really do a poor job and still be a good coach there you know but there are some things that you have to be aware of and um, if you're not you could you know lead to not a whole lot of fun yeah uh you know, I'm going to try to segue this here. My next question has to do with parents. So I was going to say, speaking of not a lot of fun, um, but <laughs> parents, 
<laughs> is uh, something obviously that as an assistant, uh, you know, you hear about, um, but you don't get to deal with firsthand. Uh, sure. As someone who's been around a long time, I'm sure you've had a lot of experience and, um, you know, met with a variety of types of parents. Sure, what sure. What advice you have for coaches in dealing with, with parents? I thought this is one of the, the best questions. Uh, uh, first of all, you you have to have your administrators on board with you because if you don't, uh, then, you know, you may make a decision or, you know, have a conversation with somebody and they don't like what you said and then they wind up going, quote, unquote, over your head uh, to get what they want. Um, so if those two things are in place, you know, a principal or, you know, AD or both, if they're in place, they got to understand where you're coming from. The other is to do your work uh, early. Uh, we, as I'm sure a lot of the programs, uh, put forward a handbook. And the last page of the handbook is something for the parents or the guardians to sign and return. They don't have to agree with everything. They just have to understand that they've read it, and this is the way things are going to function. Uh, the other thing that we've done is uh, I did this when I was an assistant at Clackamas, and, and we've done it at Putnam, is we have player-led conferences, and we have the, the coaches sit down with each one of the players and talk about their strengths and weaknesses, and the kids write it down, talk about what position they are on the team and what they have to do to change that position. And then um, on our scrimmage day, uh, which is usually Saturday before we start playing uh, ball games, is we have the parents, the coach, and the players sit down together. It takes a very short time, five, ten minutes. And the, the player presents that information to his parents. So it can't be a, a thing where, you know, kid goes home and says, you know, mom and dad, I'm tearing them up. You know, coach doesn't like me. <laughs> you know, um, it, it's, it just – it, 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 and it's not perfect. It's not perfect at all. But it does give us an opportunity to say, hey, we talked about these things. This isn't a surprise. You know, we talked about what the strengths were, what he needed to work on, and, you know, where he's at on this particular team, and maybe even why he's on a particular team. Uh, we do that, and it, it's been successful, especially with our, our younger teams, our freshmen, sophomore. Uh, JVs. When you get to the varsity level, yeah, you know, it's a little bit more urgent. You know, people aren't necessarily willing to listen, but we still, you know, stick with that. And uh, it, it's been good for us. It's been good for us. I like that. Do you do anything like that throughout the course of the year? I mean, maybe it's not with parents, but do you meet with, with students and players throughout the year and have them communicate with parents also? Or is it just at that beginning of the year? No, at the beginning of the year, we, we have with parents. In the past, as time has allowed, we have communicated with players uh, before, you know, we have a preseason, and then before we go into league, we sit down with, with players and talk to them, you know, individually, or, you know, two or three coaches, and then talk to them and, you know, realize, hey, you, you know, this is where you're at, this is your position, this is what we'd like to see from you. This is how you can help us be successful. You know, this is uh, – uh, and we try to make it as positive as we can. We don't come to the kids at that point and say, hey, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. Because um, it, it, I have found that 
when when players have something to look forward to and they're told they're doing something very well, uh, they seem to, you know, kind of put a little more pep in their step and they, they, they seem to work a little bit harder at things. And again, it's not always perfect, but uh, we don't meet with the parents again. We do try and meet with the players before we go into league. Yeah. Those parent meetings you talked about at the beginning of the year, um, yeah. I like that idea. I think it's great. Do you, um, like as the head coach, do you only okay. meet with the varsity? Do you split up the varsity and have assistants take some of those meetings? You know, I meet with every varsity. Varsity yeah. kid? Okay. Yeah, I meet with every varsity kid and their their parent or guardian or whomever else it may be. And because it's uh, in our handbook, you know, if, if there is a concern or a quote-unquote complaint, um, mm-hmm. we ask the parents to, to have their, you know, the young person talk to their coach. Right. And then, uh, you know, if the problem persists, uh, then they, you know, the parent can speak with that coach, say a freshman coach. If the problem still is not, you know, to their satisfaction, then I will be involved and then the athletic director. That's kind of a chain of command type of thing. Yeah. And uh, it, it's 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 been okay. I, I want them to understand. You kind of deal with things on the quote unquote lowest level as you possibly can. Now, I don't want to, Hey, my kid's not playing. I'm going straight to the athletic director. Well, that, you know, the athletic director in my case will send him right back to me. He won't even deal with it. So have, you know, his first question is, have you talked to your son's coach? Well, no. Well, that's where you got to start. And that's really good. <laughs> yeah. Very supportive. Yeah. That's great. You know, kind of, I guess, on the flip side, you know, talking about dealing with parents, uh, you know, there's a lot of turnover in administration um, nowadays yeah. in the in the education world. What advice do you have uh, maybe for coaches that would like to build that, that positive relationship with administrators? What advice would you give to do that? Well, I laugh because in my 13 years as a head coach at Newburgh, uh, we had eight principals and three athletic directors. So when you talk about turnover, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I would just think that one of the real important things is to is to communicate with them, you know, is to sit down and, and say, hey, you know, this is what I feel. This is how I'm going to approach things. You know, uh, I, I give a copy of our handbook to the athletic director and our principal every year because there's always new things that are added because different situations come up, you know, and, you know, there have been a couple times where we've had things come up and it wasn't covered in the handbook. And so we make a note and make sure it's in for that next year um, so that they get an understanding of, you know, just exactly what the the player is dealing with as far as the coaching staff, as far as rules and so on and so forth. Um, and the rules are general, but, you know, I'm sure there's some differences, you know, in, in different areas, different places. Yeah. Um, switch gears on you here a little bit, Coach. Yeah. Uh, you've, you've had uh, a lot of experience uh, at various levels. I've uh, been a head coach for a long time. Um, how has your coaching philosophy and style changed uh, from when you were a young, <laughs> gung-ho coach to the uh, calm, mature coach that you have uh, become today? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, brother. That's <laughs> hilarious. Um I'd say the biggest thing is um, 
I've become more flexible uh, with uh, rules. You know, I mean, I started, I was became a head coach in 86. And, uh, you know, we uh, still had haircuts. We still had uh, shirts and ties for games. Uh, you know, things have changed. Um, you know, it's, you know, travel. I, I don't care how long a kid's hair is. I could care less. Uh, as long as you can make a jump shot, that's, that's, that's going to allow them to live with it. Um, the, uh, the biggest thing is uh, I give kids a lot more freedom. Uh, when we started in 86, uh, it was much, much more controlled. A lot of, lot more motion offense, very few mini games, uh, very much controlled. I think players now are more sophisticated. They're, they're more talented, much, much more talented. Um, they play a lot more. I think they watch a lot more basketball and they work on their game. Uh, a lot more than players, uh, you know, even, you know, five or six years ago. You know, there's there's trainers out there and different things uh, on, on the Internet where they can watch and get better, and there's all kinds of training devices they can get a hold of. And I think kids are they're, they're getting better and better and better. So, you know, you, we run a lot more mini games, uh, which gives players, you know, opportunity to make decisions and uh, – and, and do things on their own. So I think giving kids a lot more freedom is probably one of the biggest things. Um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I just find that funny. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And, you know, I just – quick comment, you know, Coach, uh, you mentioned shirt and tie um, earlier <laughs> in your career. I did, I did come watch a game of yours this year. I was scouting, uh, uh-huh. and I'm pretty sure you were in the Jordan travel sweat, Coach, and I was <laughs> – I'm going to be honest, I was pretty impressed. I was like, wow, that's the guy who uh, has really calmed down. You know, he's really, yeah. he feels like he's in a good spot. So I just, you know, well, for the coaches you. that are thinking about it, you know, Coach Chris, he, he's approved it. When I so first began, it was a shirt and tie for me and a jacket. And and um, I wouldn't even loosen my tie. Uh, so it's, uh, it's just a different deal. And as time has worn on, uh, the jacket disappeared, and then uh, then the tie disappeared, and then uh, we went to polo shirts, and uh, now it's a, it's a much. I mean, it's a, not about being a fashion show; it's about being comfortable and able to work with your guys. So that that is a, a huge key. That's funny. Did I look good? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> coach. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's next. Okay. All right. Always, always. Um, All right. Coach, obviously, you know, you mentioned, you know, these times are kind of crazy for us. Uh, we're not able to do a ton. We didn't have a regular summer basketball uh, schedule. Are you able to engage with your players? How are you kind of keeping in contact and, and making sure that they're still improving uh, over the summer during these crazy times? Well, the the, the biggest way is you know, your email and text, um, which, you know, the kids are, you know, they they're they're all over that. I've had uh, a couple of Zoom meetings, and uh, those have been a bit awkward. Kids don't know exactly what to say, or uh, which is it's, it winds up being a lot of giggling, a lot of, of laughter. And then we have just uh, for our incoming freshmen, um, we uh, put together a YouTube channel with some skill development things, and had a, a young man who graduated a couple years ago and is playing at Clackamas Community College. Uh, kind of be a demonstrator for us and go, he does a great job. 
uh, Ruben Onoshenko, and uh, he went through with myself and uh, uh, that freshman coach, who was the girls' coach, uh, Brad Miller, and uh, we presented some really neat stuff, and uh, that that's been good. Um, whether the kids are actually watching it and you know and doing that, I don't know. You know, I, I hear about some pickup games that are going on, you know, different parks and different things, kids connecting with each other. Um, and it'll be interesting if we have a season this year, you know, hope upon hope, yeah. it'll be interesting to see how much kids have been. Cause it'll, you know, it'll, you'll tell right away. Uh, so we'll just have to wait and see, you know, they're all telling me they're working out, but you know, time <laughs> yeah. will tell. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll return with more from Coach Greg Griffin right after this on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Want more from the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast? Visit our website at anchor.fm slash OBCA or subscribe to our podcast on Spotify. Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Derek Duman here with Coach Greg Griffin. Uh, Coach, I want to dive into uh, what could be a somewhat sensitive topic. Uh, you and I have had the chance to talk about it a little bit in the past and uh, something that's definitely at the forefront of our society uh, right now. Uh, for listeners that maybe don't know you or are unfamiliar with you, uh, you are a, a person of color. Um, and obviously things that are going on right now, uh, obviously in, in downtown Portland, especially, um, you know, it's, it's on the forefront of what's going on. Uh, and, and I always ask our female coaches if they've been treated differently or feel like anything has been different by being a woman. So I'm going to ask kind of the same question to you. Do, do you feel like you've been treated differently at all because you're a person of color uh, in the basketball community? And, and can you kind of talk about that experience? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, that's a, that's an excellent question. Um, yeah, I think early on, you know, I can remember I started coaching, um, uh, in, uh, as a head coach in 1986 in Newburgh, uh, uh, predominantly, uh, white community. I never, ever had any issues or problems with players ever along those lines. You know, um, kids were, <laughs> the kids were, open they they wanted to play they you know they they just wanted to have fun it was a good deal um some parents uh, didn't appreciate who i was or or you know where i came from there were some odd bizarre things said to me um not so much uh or at all when i came as assistant to clackamas um again a little bit i don't know I don't know if it's, I'd say progressive, but a little bit more of the city, but they probably deal with different types of folks. Uh, so it really wasn't that big a deal and, and not much of a problem, uh, at Putnam. I think, um, uh, very diverse area, diverse, diverse community. Um, but, um, early on with some officials, we used to get to go to Silverton and Moala and Dallas, different associations, different things happen. But I learned early on, uh, I had two great examples. Um, of the kind of don't ever, don't ever let them see you sweat. I read a book by Arthur Ashe when I was in, uh, in college. He was a great tennis player and had to play in a predominantly white uh, sport. And 
calls didn't go his way and he had to maintain his composure at all times. And, and the biggest thing was, um, when I was a junior in high school, I first worked a camp, um, that was run by Lenny Wilkins, who was a great NBA player and uh, coached the Portland Trailblazers, player coach, and then later coached the Sonics to a championship in 79. Uh, was a head coach in Cleveland, was a head coach in Atlanta, and at one time was the winningest coach in the NBA. I don't know if he still is. I, I don't really keep up with those stats, but he was another guy, and uh, he had related stories to me when he came out of college out of Providence growing up in Brooklyn. He was drafted by the St. Louis Hawks. They went to St. Louis, Missouri in the 60s, and it was still a segregated city, and he had to actually live in East St. Louis. And, you know, as a professional athlete, because, you know, he couldn't live in St. Louis. And he had learned early that, you know, you have to not allow people to see that what they've said or done um, has affected you and not let it affect how you do your job. And, and that was yeah. something that was a, a very strong point made to me. Uh, so I've always kind of kept that in mind and tried to, you know, bring that across to my players uh, to keep your composure at all times. And, uh, you know, not let other players or bad call or whatever else may be uh, affect you. You know, that, that's life. You know, things aren't going to always go your way. you got to be able to handle it and be ready for it. So, you know, be, you know, be prepared. Yeah. Is that a conversation that, that you have with, with your players that are maybe, you know, black or brown or yellow or green? You know, the, the minority um, Absolutely. players that you have? And what is that? you know, conversation kind of look like. Absolutely. You know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm a very direct person and um, I, I don't, I'm not very diplomatic about when I speak to, to kids. I, I think that uh, they respect that a little bit more. I just say, Hey, you know, you're, you we're going in this situation and, and something might be said to you, you know, that if you react, you know, it's like throwing kerosene on a fire. It's just going to get worse. So, you know, I'm not telling you to, to take it. It may bother you, but don't show it outwardly. You know, control control your emotions at all times. And uh, it's, we've been really good with that. We've been good with that. Although we haven't been a whole lot of situations. You know, we had a couple situations at, at different schools in our league. Uh, you know, we have a really interesting league. You have these teams that are in the city, and then you have some teams that are, you know, really out outside of the city and you have very different crowds and uh, not so much from players, but from crowds, from fans, things get said. I said, you can't react. You just, you know, you got to maintain your composure at all times. You know, it's going to happen and it's going to happen long after you leave high school. So, you know, learn how to deal with it now. Yeah. What advice I think, you know, I tried to have a conversation with my team, you know, when the when the Black Lives Matter movement first happened and sure. uh, George Floyd, um, you know, death, and that was, you know, it's still obviously very prevalent. But right. if 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 I'm a coach and and I want to have, I want to open up a dialogue with my team because I think that's important. I think that, you know, as as scholastic coaches, we should have those conversations with our kids because it's. It's more than basketball that we're trying to educate them on. Absolutely. What advice do you have for coaches that, that would like to try to start that dialogue with their teams? I think it is a absolute necessity. Um, kids look up to coaches. 
it's just a natural thing yeah and and they respect what you have to say and i i think the the biggest thing about the black lives matter movement is that it needs to be stressed that black lives matter doesn't mean black lives matter more than white or more than anyone else it just means they matter also or two because in a lot of situations for a lot of years it they haven't they just you know and that's that's the truth and i think when kids understand that it's not asking to have someone step above you it's just being brought to a to an equal level you know um they're going to be they're going to be on board with that and it's a matter of getting clarification and it's something you know it's 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 out there and it's and it's you know it's the elephant in the middle of the room if you don't talk about it that may bring up questions why aren't we talking about this you know it's you know everyone else is talking about it you know why isn't coach bringing it up it's you know he talks about everything else you know let's let's talk about this let's get it out and then may bring up some questions it may be hard conversations very hard conversations but in the in the end, the conversations will wind up being something that is necessary. So I, I think it's I think it's really key for coaches to to have those difficult conversations with players. They want to know. Yeah. What advice would you give? You know, I mean, <clears throat> not all of us have um, you know super diverse uh, players that we work with. That's just you right. know, like you're saying, based on where you live. Uh, you know, Oregon is is very interesting that way um, <laughs> how diverse it is you know maybe we don't have a ton of minorities uh we don't want to single out you know that that one or two kids i mean what advice would you have for coaches that want to have that conversation but maybe don't have a, a strong presence um of of kids of of color in our program that w- that would be really difficult um i think one of the mistakes is bringing in someone you know uh, bringing in, you know, a black person to speak, you know, that's not somebody who's who's one of your guys. I think the conversation still can take place. I think you can maybe talk to that young person ahead of time and ask him what his comfort level is in discussing these things, and maybe ask him to relate some situations that have been difficult for him. Uh, sports is always, to me, as far as I can remember first time being on a team or being on a football team or a basketball team or a track team, it was, it was the, the big unifier. You know, you, it didn't matter, you know, if you were Jewish or, 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 or Christian or black or white or whatever, you were my teammate, you were one of my guys. And, and we were going into battle together against those other guys. And, you know, so therefore, you know, you were somebody I wanted to, defend or take care of or what you know whatever way you want to look at it and i think i hope that uh kids that play in the same program and maybe grew up together will have that level of togetherness you know and want to hey you know show people that i hey, i'm in your corner you know i'm one you know i'm with you and i never i never felt that way it's funny funny thing is i still have thank goodness contact with kids that i coached in newburgh who are or grown men with families of their own, uh, and then one is a Portland policeman. And uh, when the Black Lives Matter started, uh, he was actually in one of those lines in front of protesters. And he called me and was in tears. And he says, Coach, I've never 
never felt like this. I never, he said, all I knew was, was, you know, growing up where I grew up was, you know, guys like you and, you know, you were greatest person, you know, so on, so on, so forth. And, and I said, well, yeah, you're right. You know, we had a lot of things in common because we talked about it. Yeah. You know, when you, when you find commonality, I think it really breaks down a lot of barriers. You know, um, people think that they're very different from each other, but when they begin to communicate and talk about difficult things, I think they find commonalities that make them sit back and go, oh, we're, we're not that much different. We are pretty much, you know, the same in one way or another. So I think those conversations are key. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head, Coach. You know, when, when we tried to have that conversation, you know, I think it, I kind of felt silly because, you know, our kind of kids were like, well, what are you talking Like, when we're on a team, like, we don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, as 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 athletes, as, as people that are a part of teams, you don't really care, you know, the color of their skin or their religious yeah. affiliation. You're all working towards the same goal, you know? Yeah. And it's um, – so you kind of you forget about that stuff. You just you want to get better, and you're you're part of the family, and you want to win. And um, you know something that I think would be great if we could just attribute that to you know where we're at in society. You know, what if we were all on the same team, yeah. going towards the same goal? Um, it's very but, simple when you think about it that way, isn't it? Yeah. Man, <laughs> crazy. Um, what are some things that we can do as coaches? Uh, to create maybe a more culturally relevant environment uh, for our minority student athletes. Wow. I think two things. Talk, and again, I, I, I stress my mom taught me this years ago, and I guess it still sucks. It sticks. Uh, uh, it's finding that commonality, you know, whatever it may be. Um, uh, in, in all kinds of things, and that's one of the things in any kind of, of, of low-key situation I try and find with my players. You know, I'm the youngest of six. We don't usually have a lot of a lot of big families like that anymore, but I had four older brothers, uh, you know, that used to pick on me and uh, made me tough, and uh, my sisters took care of me, and I mean, that might be a commonality with somebody, you know, who has you know, older brothers a little rough yeah. on him, and you know, something like that. It might be the other way around. I don't know. You never know. But mm -hmm. finding the more you talk to people and just kind of break down some of those those barriers, the more common ground you find and, and people begin to relax. That's been my experience. Uh, um, the other is that um, I think that non-kids of color have to get maybe a little bit of an understanding of things that are said that aren't funny. And um, I remember I, I had a strong conversation with uh, uh, a young man I really cared for, and he made the comment about something was gay. And that was a very – oh, that's very – that's that's gay. And I said, no, that's that's not cool, man. You know, that's, that's not a good thing to say. Well, why does it bother you, Coach? You're married. I said, well, my brother's gay. Oh, really? Yeah. I said, yeah. You know, I, it, you know, I don't need you to start, you know, waving flags or anything, but I need you to understand that sometimes things that are accepted in maybe your circle doesn't mean they're accepted everywhere. And you have to be aware of that. You know, you have to, you know, kind of understand that level of 
of sensitivity, you know, for other people or things, or, or saying things about Hispanics, or um, or saying things about. In our, our case, we have a, a large uh, um, Central European population in our school, and and that has been, a, believe it or not, that's been an issue where people will make comments about Russian kids or about. And it's like, you know, that's not cool. You know, you're putting everybody in one bucket, and that's that's not the way it is. Not the way it is at all. So. And, and again, they aren't bad people. They aren't bad kids. They just aren't necessarily aware, and they don't necess- have bad intentions. They just aren't aware. Yeah. yeah. I think the other, you know, group is women, Coach. I think that's another one. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, absolutely. we we did a program this year called the Real Man Program. You know, people yeah. can Google it if you want, but it, it talked a lot about how we treat women. You know, and, Absolutely. and, um, Absolutely. and we, had, we got to have some really good conversations that way, you know, just in the locker sure, room sure. Oh, using oh. slang or whatever that is derogatory, you know, and um, trying to clean that up. Yeah, that's, I, oh, that's, that's, uh, that's another conversation that uh, you've just, you've given me a great idea. That's another conversation that we need to have. I, 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 I got to be honest with you. We have never had that conversation and, and uh, we need to. Yes, absolutely. That's yeah. that's great. Do you? Um, I, I'm not sure how you quite do captains, but you know, like I think a lot of time kids, you know, it's one thing for us to say that and and knock it off um, when we see that as coaches, and I think that's really important. But right. I think you know the testament that we're really doing a really good job is if you know our culture kind of takes over, right? The buzzword of culture, but you know, right. our players are knocking it off too. Um, is there something you do with maybe your, your leaders to help with those conversations and make sure that that, that culture is being in, imprinted in their brains, or um, do you kind of just hope for the best? You know, it's funny, um, and I hate to sound like an old guy, but I am. <laughs> when you – I choose captains. I don't let kids vote. I, I, I choose, and then I sit down and, you know, talk to them about – expectations and, 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 you know, what I need them to do and what example. And then I say, Hey, can you, can you do these things? You know, is this too much pressure? And if it is, let me know and I'll, I'll go a different direction. And I've had a couple of kids say, you know, coach, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do this, but most of them say, yeah. And there's no question that when you have strong captains, your year seems to go a little bit better um, because now you have peers holding each other uh, to the rules, to the ideas, to what needs to get done. And, and you know, kids can accept it, I think, accept things better from their peers than they can from coaches sometimes, mm-hmm. um, especially when it's something, you know, they're not doing. Uh, they, they feel much, much better coming from a peer, you know. Um, and, and that's been really good for us. Um, but there are sometimes, you know, like I said, it's not never perfect. There's some times where you choose a captain and they say, hey, I can do it and do it, and they, they don't do a very good job. And that has a, has a direct reflection on uh, what happens on the court. No, no question at all. Yeah. What advice would you have for uh, young coaches of color that are kind of just breaking into the profession? Well, I, I think the uh, – and I had a very – limited opportunity to speak to some young coaches and, you know, through 
you know, some AAU stuff uh, and try to encourage them to coach in the high school level. And, well, then first of all, I can't – it doesn't work with my work schedule. That's, that's true. You know, it's, it's difficult when you're not available at 3 o'clock kind of thing. Um, there's ways around that. There's, you know, if you want to get it done, you can get it done. Um, I, I would encourage coaches of young coaches, period, to get involved in the organizations and and learn from other coaches that way. Oregon uh, Basketball Coaches Association. Um, sit down with older coaches um, and, and learn from them. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, maybe cost you a, uh, a glass of beer or a cup of coffee, you know, not a lot, not a lot of money, but made some time. And those coaches may just talk and tell stories. Mm-hmm. But during those stories, you may pick up one thing that makes you a better coach. And that's one more thing to go on your toolbox that makes you a better coach. Um, I belong to the National Basketball Coach Association, and, and my wife and I have attended uh, several Final Fours. And there's a lot of fun things going on, but there's clinics. And uh, I go to clinics, and I even wound up uh, in San Antonio sitting next to a guy who's from Oregon. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, we yes, did. did. That was, uh, that was yeah, hilarious. Right. But, yeah. you know, people think, you know, why do you go to clinics? You've been doing it so long. Yeah, I'm, I, I, my mom taught me I, I, I got to be a lifelong learner. If ever you get in a spot where you think, hey, I got this, you know, I'm all set, you're in trouble. Because uh, – Basketball in particular has changes so much uh, and grows so much. I mean, it used to be, you know, everybody ran a triangle and you had a post player and a high post. Now the game's changed. There, there are no posts. Everybody's got to, you know, you got to modify and you got to get your kids to modify and you got to learn. Um, some teams uh, have shot, some uh, uh, states have shot clocks, some don't. Different games. Uh, you got to learn. You got, you got to, you got to be a lifelong learner. It's uh uh, you got, but but being involved in organizations so that you know what's going on in your state, I think, is really key. And and don't be afraid to to be a freshman coach for a couple of years, you know, and and you know make some mistakes and and you know do some things right. And you know, it's it's all a learning process. It really really is. I, I tried to hire a young man a couple of years ago. Uh, as a as a JV2 coach, and uh, everything went well. It was great, great, great. Finally, he said, you know, never been a, never been a coach one year, two years in a high school situation as a varsity assistant. Because I've got to be a varsity assistant, nothing. I said, well, I'm sorry, those positions are good. Good luck. Mm-hmm. And I I just thought, wow, you know, turned out a job. He may never get that opportunity again. You know. It's the age-old line of, you know, an opportunity knocks. You better have your bags packed. You know, you may be sitting home for a while. Um, but, you know, that was that was surprising to me. But, you know, that was his choice. Um, yeah, you gotta you gotta be ready. You gotta be ready, and you gotta you gotta you know, you gotta get as much information as you can. Get it clear in your head, and and go out there and get after it. Yeah. I agree 100%. And I think, yeah, I'm sure you could attest to this too. Sometimes, uh, whether it's, you know, having a, a beverage or a coffee or on staff with a certain coach, sometimes you learn what not to do also, which is sure. not a bad thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, nothing at all. It's, uh, I did want to mention, I 
did want to mention, Derek, if I could, is that yeah. I learned a lot of what I do from a guy named Barry Adams. And I know there's several of us, you know, uh, I jokingly called us Barry clones. And we spent a lot of time up at Camp Cascade in the coach's dorm. And Barry, Barry just loved to share. He's a great teacher. And, um, is, uh, is, is just, you know, an oracle. I mean, he really knows the game, and he you know, he won state titles at Hillsboro, Glencoe, and South, and and uh, South Salem, excuse me, and uh, you know, just love to talk the game and 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 you know, give his knowledge and and listen to what we had to say and the questions. That that was amazing, and I, I don't know if uh, you know those camps kind of exist like they did, you know, uh, anymore, but. Again, that was that's talking to old guys, you know. It's just just bending their ear and and finding out as much as you possibly can. Barry did an awful, awful lot for me. Yeah, no, that's great, and uh, you know, we're hoping to have him maybe on the podcast one day. I think he'd be a outstanding, a fun, fun interview for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take another break. Uh, when we return, Coach Griffin will try to beat the shot clock here on the Oregon Basketball <laughs> Coaches Podcast. Stay up to date with the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association by visiting our website, or.nhsbca.org. Or you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash OregonBCA. Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. We're talking with Greg Griffin, boys basketball coach at Rex Putnam High School. Uh, Coach, for my next set of questions, I'm going to put you up against the shot clock. Uh, Ready. So 35 seconds, rapid-fire questions. Uh, should be one- to two-word answers, hopefully. Uh, and anything you'd like to really elaborate on, we can do that after the buzzer. Uh, okay. Buzzer Is that all right? All right. Here we go. Starting Ready. now. Should Oregon high school basketball have a shot clock? Yes. Standardized game across the state. Should it be implemented at sub-varsity levels? Yes, uh, I think it starts to start at uh, six and five A, and uh, see if it uh, functions for the other levels after that. If you're up three points with less than ten seconds on the clock, do you foul? Foul, foul, foul. What's your favorite way to guard on-ball screens? On-ball screens is we choke them, trap it up. Do you think three-point line should be moved back in high school? No, players aren't strong enough. The ruined shots, taking poor shots. What's your favorite pregame meal? Oh, I don't eat on the days of games. That's terrible to say, but I really don't until after the game. And what's one word officials would use to describe you? <laughs> calm. 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 Calm, cool, and calm, collected. Cool That's, That's right. right. Yes. Very good. Good work, Coach. That was that was solid. Solid, uh, solid performance by you. Um, you know, shot clock, we we call it the shot clock segment, so obviously we got to talk about that a little bit. Um, hot topic in, in Oregon and across the country. Can you elaborate? You said you were in favor of the shot clock. Uh, can you elaborate on, on why? I I think it, it adds excitement to our game. Um, you know, people can't hold the ball. Uh, kids are skilled enough. Um, yeah, you'll get some bad decisions, but after a while, um, you'll get some different strategies. 
it, it, for me as a coach, I think it adds to that chess match type of thing with coaches. Um, I think it just adds excitement to it. Um, I really, really do. You know, what kids can do as the shot clock winds down and, you know, just it, it makes it fun. You know, it makes it change. I mean, you know, we were talking about a sport that started with, you know, digging a ball out of a peach basket after every bucket, you know. So <laughs> we, we got to keep moving. You got to keep yeah. moving. I think it's good. Yeah, a lot of uh, opponents uh, talk about, you know, competitive balance, right? So the a team that's much better than another team is, you know, the margin of uh, victory is going to be even larger. Uh, right. You know, what, are you, what are your thoughts on, on that? Well, I, I know we had a survey and it was um, basically mercy rules in basketball. I, I think um, if coaches had a better understanding of what it's like to be on both ends of the stick, so to speak, uh, basketball is one of those sports I've always felt you had an opportunity to control the score if you're ahead. Uh, you can pass rules, you run motion, you do all kinds of things, take a press off, do all kinds of things to keep the score under control. Football, you can't have a kid, you know, run five yards and fall down. You know, baseball, a guy hits the ball, you know, you don't have him stop on a base. I mean, it's just not the way it's played. Um, it, it distresses me when you see teams, in my opinion, run up the score. Um, and we, especially in, in the women's sports, it, it's, it's happening. You, you watch it in our league and, there's some teams that just they just aren't very good, and teams just absolutely, you know, to beat someone by 40 or 50 points just isn't necessary. Um, uh, you know, it's just it's it's one win. But um, so I don't know if if there was a, a a mercy rule, so to speak, I think that would uh, that would be good. That would be good in some in situations. I, I really think that would be a good idea because sometimes people don't understand. You know, they get wrapped up or whatever, uh, yeah. and it's it's not good for kids. It's not good for their for sports. It's it's not good at all, in my opinion. Yeah. Do you think that the shot clock could make that worse? You know, that discrepancy uh, because you're forcing teams to shoot now, right? And in theory, the the better team gets more possessions. Do you think that would exacerbate the situation, or it could. Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no doubt about that. That's an excellent point. I think it could, but it, it also does put a team in a situation where maybe you take some shot clock violations, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to keep from running some rubbing someone's nose in it. Um, right. Maybe that's an extreme. I don't know. Maybe you know, you're not trying to embarrass someone, but you're just trying to keep the score in a situation that is workable for everybody. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. That's that's an excellent question, Derek. I'd have to really, you know, spend a little more time thinking about that. Yeah. Um, Coach, you've uh, had the opportunity to work with both the Rule of Two uh, and right. the the somewhat new Five A Six A practice model. Um, can you kind of talk about, you know, maybe compare contrast the two? Uh, do you like the new model? Should it be implemented at all levels? Kind of, what are your thoughts on that? Well, let me ask, answer the second question first, if I could. I think yeah. that the, impl- the implementation at all levels is not necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll tell you why. Uh, at a place like Putnam, we have kids that are multi-sport athletes, and we really push that. And I know that's, you know, maybe a little old school or whatever. I like it. 
Uh, I was a multi-sport athlete, and that's, you know, I just, you know, you're an athlete, you go out for athletics. Uh, so there's not a whole lot of kids to work with, uh, and it, it seems to fit really well with with our school. E- either one of those models has been okay. Um, when we had the rule of two, uh, I might work with some athletes, and an assistant might work with some other athletes at a different time. Uh, and so, so we made it work. Uh, the newer model, um, we have got more kids in the gym at one time, um, but it, it really hasn't affected us a whole lot either way. Um, I can see at bigger schools, you know, bigger six-day schools, that, you know, it, it, the, having the new model of uh, being able to work with more kids uh, might really, you know, pay some major dividends. Um, I think it is hard for me to tell kids to specialize. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I I just I'm I'm really uncomfortable with that. You know, injuries come up, different situations come up. You know, a, a player discovers as a senior he's pretty good wide receiver. You know, and you know he's been putting all his eggs in the baseball basket for forever. And now he realizes he's got some other options. He's got some other you know, things that could take him beyond high school. So, you know, and I, I don't know how that's going to go. And I don't want it to ever be in a situation where a player says, you know, I really wanted to do this, but you told me I was going to, you know, do this. And, you know, I, I wouldn't feel good about that. I wouldn't feel good about that at all. Yeah. How have you used the the new practice model? Uh, you know, so you get to start working with kids in uh, October. I mean, how do you guys kind of use it to to prep kids? Well, we've only had it just the one year, and yeah. what we have done is made it open to uh, all levels. We have we you know, and we mainly spend a lot of time on basic skills and. Uh, pick and roll as far as offense is concerned and defensively how to guard on ball screens. Uh, Just what I and my staff feel are the basic building blocks. Uh, We we just don't get into a whole lot of, uh, uh, you know, higher level thinking, so to speak, as far as basketball. And we always end with an opportunity to, you know, play some pickup games and, and ask them, you know, if you can, you know, put these two things that we just worked on into play, and, you know, try and get that done so they can understand. Now, we run these drills for forever. How does that relate, you know, to a ball game? Well, try and get those involved. Uh, it, it's It's been good. It's been good. It's been really good for us. So, uh, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll just, from this point forward, we'll just have to see how it shakes. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, again, it's it's not a lot of kids at our school because uh, you know we have kids playing uh, football and we have kids playing soccer that are involved in the basketball program. And, you know, I don't know. As as a coach, we have good coaches in those sports who, in my opinion, teach good things and that are going to relate right over to basketball. You know, and the kids are happy. They're you know they're they're it's all very positive. So. Uh, I don't yeah. know. That's where I'm at. Yeah. 
Uh, Coach Wagner from uh, Clackamas Community College brought up yeah. something in our last podcast that I hadn't even yeah. thought about, and so I was just going to kind of get your opinion. He was talking about uh, the restricted arc, uh, you know, for, for block charge, which is something mm-hmm. that high school basketball does not have, but right. any level above high school does. Uh, what do you think? Should high school put in a restricted arc? Do you think that would help? What are your thoughts on that? You know, you know, I, it's it's interesting. Um, I had to really when I, I saw that question, you would you would, you know given to me. I had to go back and actually look at some of our uh, our games from the last couple of years, and um, it, it 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 doesn't seem to me that it really comes into play very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that kids take charges on the perimeter, and. Um, not so much under the basket. I mean, you know, maybe here and there. And if they do, it's 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 a couple steps out from the hole. I don't know. I, I think it's it, it could complicate things. It's one more uh, one more interpretation by officials that could be less up to interpretation. You know, if there's a line there and he was in or out, but still, you know, right. still, you know, still a, a point of argument because it happens so quickly. Um, I don't. I don't know if it would be good or bad. I, my thing is, like, like I said, with the shot clock, I think if you're going to add something, it, it, it needs to be good for the sport and, and and good for kids. And I don't. I don't know if that's really where that's at. So. Right. That's fair. Yeah. Maybe not top priority, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was just an interesting point he had brought up, and I was like, oh, well, shoot, I've never, I've never thought about that. Um, yeah. But. Was something to think about. So. Well, cool. Coach, uh, that's all I got for you today. Uh, thanks awesome. for uh, joining us uh, and sharing the game. We really appreciate it. This has been so much fun. I really appreciate uh, uh, sitting down with you here and uh, talking. It's just a kick in the pants. Um, just missing basketball so badly during these, these times. And uh, to be able to talk um, hoops is, is just so much fun. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, 100%, Coach. That's been my favorite part about about doing this is uh, getting my hoop fixed somehow. So Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Uh, if you have any follow-up questions or want to get a hold of Coach Griffin, uh, you can find his contact information in the episode description. We hope you'll join us next time here on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Until then, coach him up. Thank you for listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Is there a coach you'd like to hear from or a topic you'd like to hear us discuss? You can write us a message on the Anchor website or send us an email at OregonBasketballCoaches at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify.